in the snake sacrifice conducted by King Janamejaya, Sauti Vaishampayana narrates the story of the origin of the Kuru lineage and lists the genealogy of the dynasty. He lists the names of all the rulers of the Lunar dynasty, starting from Daksha, who was considered Brahma's son, all the way to Puru, who was the 11th in the line of kings of the dynasty and founded the Puru lineage. Then he lists the kings belonging to the Puru lineage and how it branched into the Kuru clan to which the Kauravas and Pandavas belong. When telling the story of the beginning and evolution of the dynasty, the Mahabharata tells many interesting love stories of the kings and princes. The stories of how the kings met their future wives and the stories of the birth of their heirs is woven into the epic and offers a glimpse into the history, values and traditions of the people of the time. Namaste, hello and welcome. You're listening to Stories of India Retold and I am your storyteller Nivi with Stories from India. I'm glad you're here today and I hope you will enjoy today's episode. Before I continue, I would like to remind you to please subscribe to the podcast if you have not yet and to also please leave a review. It would help the podcast to grow and I would really appreciate that. In today's episode, we will explore the genealogy of the dynasty through the stories of love and marriages of some of the more famous kings of the dynasty and also the birth of their heirs, how issues of infertility was handled and how the heir apparent was chosen in some cases and also how and why some heirs did not or could not ascend the throne. While most of the stories have already been explored in much more detail on this podcast, we will explore this story briefly with a different perspective in order to help with context in terms of how the lineage started and evolved. And so, let us start with the story of Yayati. The Kauravas and Pandavas belonged to a line of rulers who were said to have descended from the deities related to Chandra or Moon and hence their lineage is called Chandravamsha or Luna dynasty. Pururavas is said to be the first emperor of this dynasty. He was succeeded by Ayu and later Nahusha. Nahusha's son was Yayati. Yayati married Devyani, who was the beloved daughter of a very powerful Brahmin named Shukracharya. Devyani had a friend named Sharmista. Sharmista was the daughter of the Asura king, Prishaparva. Devyani's father, who was highly learned and greatly influential, was working in Sharmista's father's court. That is how the two girls met and they became friends. One day they had a fight because Sharmista mistakenly wore Devayani's clothes and Devayani took great offence. The situation got escalated and the girls took to insulting each other. Devayani, a Brahmin's daughter, called Sharmista, a Rakshasa's daughter, inferior. Sharmista called Devayani's father a beggar in her father's court. After trading verbal barbs, the fight got physical and somehow ended with Sharmista pushing Devyani inside a nearby well and leaving her there to die. Devyani was later rescued by Yayati, who happened to be hunting in that forest. Devyani went to her father and demanded that Sharmista must be punished and as a result of that, Sharmista became Devyani's slave. Later, when Devyani married Yayati, she took Sharmista with her to her new home. 
she warned her husband to never be intimate with Sharmista. But as fate would have it, Yayati did become intimate with Sharmista. Yayati had five sons, two from Devyani, Yadu and Turvasu, and three from Sharmista, Druhyu, Anu and Puru. In a move that was rather unusual, Yayati made Puru, his youngest son, his heir, as he felt that he was the best son among his five sons. Puru started the Puru lineage. And this is said to have happened in the early Vedic period, around 17th to 14th century BCE. So that's about 3700 years ago. Yadu's descendants were called Yadavas of the Krishna fame. Turvasu's descendants are the Yavanas. Druhyu's descendants are the Bojas. And Anu's descendants are known as the Mlechas. Another famous king is Dushanta. He is the descendant of Puru. Dushanta ruled over a wealthy, prosperous and happy kingdom. During his time, the city of Hastinapura was bustling with trade and art and architecture flourished. He was feared by his enemies and loved by his citizens. He was physically strong and a well-trained warrior who was proficient in the use of a variety of weapons and could hold his own in the battlefield. He was also an avid hunter. He was on a long hunting trip in the forests away from Hastinapura when he met Shakuntala. He met her in a hermitage belonging to the sage Kanva, situated near the forest along the banks of the river Malini. Shakuntala was the daughter of Vishwamitra, a Brahmana, and the Apsara Menaka. However, she was abandoned at birth by her mother and was raised by sage Kanva. When Dushanta visited the beautiful hermitage, he wanted to meet and pay his respects to the sage Kanva. Sage Kanva was away from the hermitage and so his daughter Shakuntala received Dushanta. Dushanta was immediately attracted to the very beautiful and young Shakuntala. They spoke for a while and Dushanta asked her about her background. Shakuntala told him all about who her parents were and how she came to be living with Sage Kanva and how she came to be known as his daughter. Dushanta decided that given the fact that Shakuntala was the daughter of a Brahmana, they could have a Gandharva marriage. He urged Shakuntala to consider his proposal. Shakuntala hesitated. She was attracted to Dushanta as well, but she worried about disappointing her father. So she told Dushanta to wait for her father's return to ask for permission. But Dushanta did not want to wait. He wanted Shakuntala and he wanted her to make the decision on her own. He told her that the Kandarva form of marriage is considered the best form of marriage because it was based on love between a man and a woman. He told her that because he was a Kshatriya and she was a Brahmin's daughter, Gandharva marriage was sanctioned between them and so they would not be against their dharma. Shakuntala was almost convinced. She was more than open to the idea of making her own decisions and being the master of her destiny. However, she wanted to make sure she was protected. So she told Dushanta, I will marry you, but only if you promise me that if I have a son, he will be your heir. Dushanta readily agreed and gave her his promise, after which they married each other following the Gandharva traditions without the presence of anyone else. They spent a few blissful days together, after which Dushanta had to leave to Hastinapura. He promised Shakuntala that he would be back for her, but he never did. 
As a result of their secret marriage, Shakuntala had a baby boy who was named Sarvadamana. When her son was 6 years old, Shakuntala took him to Hastinapura and asked Dushanta to instate his son as his heir as per his promise to her. At first, Dushanta refused to acknowledge both Shakuntala and their son, but Shakuntala did not let him go so easily. She argued her case and Dushanta had to accept his son. A celestial voice also told Dushanta to accept his son and so Sarvadamana was instated as his heir and he was later named as Bharata. Bharata went on to be one of the most famous emperor of ancient Indian history. The next story happens sometime in the Middle Vedic period, so around 12th century BCE, and it tells us the story of why the Kurus are also known as Tapatya. King Samvarana was a Puru king, and as most Puru kings, he liked to hunt. One day, he was out in the woods hunting in the mountains when his tired horse suddenly collapsed and died. Samvarana had no one accompanying him at this point, so he had no choice but to continue on foot. It is here in the middle of the woods in the mountains that the king first set eyes on the beautiful Tapati. Tapati was the daughter of Vivaswat and the sister of Savitri. She was a beautiful and accomplished young woman and Vivaswat wanted her to marry someone truly worthy of her. There was no one he knew that he thought could match up to his amazing daughter. Samvarana and Tapati quickly fell in love. Samvarana wanted Tapati to marry him according to the Gandharva tradition of marriage. Tapati told him that she wanted to marry him as well, but this was a decision she could not take on her own and he would have to obtain her father's blessings first. With that, Tapati left Samvarana and went back home. Samvarana was completely in love with Tapati and was miserable without her. He immediately tried to do everything he could to please her father, the sun god. The great sage Vasista got to know about Samvarana's attempts to please Vivaswat. Vasista went to Vivaswat and spoke to him about King Samvarana. Vivaswat was very pleased when he was told that Samvarana and Tapati wished to marry each other. He could think of no other man who would be better for his lovely daughter. Soon the marriage was fixed and Samvarana and Tapati were married. They had a son named Kuru who founded the Kuru dynasty and since they came from the lineage of Tapati, the descendants of the Kuru dynasty were also known as Tapatya. The fourth king to come into power in the Kuru lineage is Shantanu. Shantanu met Ganga on the banks of the river Ganga and he was immediately and completely enthralled with Ganga's presence and beauty. Shantanu pursued her and asked her to be his wife. Ganga agreed, but she had conditions. I will accept your proposal, but only if you promise me to never interfere or stop me from what I must do and you must never yell at me, Ganga said. Shantanu accepted and they were soon married. Shantanu and Ganga had a blissful marriage. They were completely into each other and had a good marriage. But alas, their happiness was soon threatened by Ganga's actions. Ganga got pregnant and when she had her child, she took the newborn and threw it out into the water without saying a word to Shantanu. 
This distressed Shantanu. However, he could not question Ganga or stop her because of the promise he had made her. Ganga got pregnant again, and again Ganga threw the baby into the water as Shantanu watched helplessly. And Ganga did this over and over again with all the seven sons born to them. Each time Ganga told Shantanu that it was for his own good and nothing else. But finally, when the eighth son was born, Shantanu could not bear the thought of losing another child. He stopped Ganga from killing their son. He attacked her verbally and questioned her cruel actions. Ganga stopped. She told Shantanu that she will not harm the child, but she cannot continue to live with him any more as he broke his promise. Ganga also revealed to Shantanu why she did what she did. Turns out that the sons she had were actually vasus who were deities and residents of heaven they were reborn on earth because of a curse from the great sage vasista who cursed them to be reborn as mortals because they stole his precious cow the vasus begged for forgiveness and vasista told them that they will be born on earth as per his curse but they can return to heaven immediately all except pravasa who was responsible for planning the theft the vasus absolutely did not want to be born on earth and live a miserable life as a mortal they decided that if they had to be born as a mortal they would rather be born to someone as noble and pure as ganga they asked ganga for her help and she agreed The vasus chose King Pratipa as their father and Ganga was agreeable to that as well. They further asked that she should kill them as soon as they were born because they absolutely did not want to spend more time than necessary on earth. Ganga said she was okay with that except she wanted to give her husband at least one heir. The vasus agreed and told her that they would each give one eighth of their elemental energies to the one surviving child. They also warned her that this son would unfortunately remain childless during his time on Earth. Ganga accepted all the terms. Some time after that, Ganga went to Pratipa and asked him to marry her. Pratipa politely refused. But since Ganga was a powerful woman and he did not want to offend her he offered her the hand of his son who was Shantanu and that is how Ganga decided to marry Shantanu and why she killed her infant sons well all except her eighth son Ganga left Shantanu and she took her son with her but before leaving she made Shantanu a promise that she would return him his son at the right time and their son was named devavrata more famously known as bhishma as promised shantanu was reunited with bhishma after a few years bhishma was an intelligent talented and wise young man and shantanu was over the moon with how perfect his son and heir was unfortunately bhishma gave up his place as the heir to the throne and never became king although he did continue to play an important role as member of the ruling family of the kuru clan and wielded great influence the throne however went to his step brother so this is what happened 
A few years after Ganga had left him and his son and heir was returned to him, Shantanu met a beautiful young woman named Satyavati. Satyavati was the daughter of the chief of the fisherman clan. Shantanu fell in love with her and wished to marry her. Satyavati was keen to marry him as well and so they went to her father to ask for his permission. Satyavati's father told Shantanu that he was amenable to the marriage but only if the son born to Satyavati would be instated as heir to the throne. Shantanu was shocked by the request because he already had an heir, Devavrata. He explained his situation and begged Satyavati's father to reconsider but Satyavati's father did not budge. A disappointed Shantanu returned back to the palace. Devavrata sensed that something was bothering his father. He learned about his father's heartbreak from trusted royal advisers. Unwilling to see his father sad and lonely and wishing that his father would remarry and produce more heirs for the good of the royal family, Devavrata asked a couple of advisers to accompany him to visit Satyavati's father. Devavrata conducted talks with him and when Satyavati's father repeated his demands, Devavrata promised him that he would step down and relinquish his position as the heir apparent. Satyavati's father was still not convinced. But what about your future sons? he asked and pointed out that they may not accept the arrangement and would make claim to the throne. In order to convince Satyavati's father, Devavrata made yet another promise. He told him that he would never marry nor would he have children and he took a vow of Brahmacharya. Satyavati's father was satisfied and he agreed to the marriage. Satyavati and King Shantanu were married and they had two sons, Chitrangada and Vichitravirya. Chitrangada ascended the throne after Shantanu. Unfortunately, Chitrangada was killed in a battle with the king of Gandharvas, who was also named Chitrangada. Vichitravirya was very young when he inherited the throne. He was married to the princesses of Kashi, the sisters Ambika and Ambalika. Vichitravirya ruled for a few years before tragedy hit again and Vichitravirya died of consumption. And he died without any heirs, essentially putting the throne at risk. It was a dire situation and Satyavati decided that the only solution to this was for the widowed princesses to have sons as per the practice of Niyoga. Niyoga was an ancient Indian practice where women could beget sons through the younger brother of her husband or any other approved male in certain conditions conditions such as her husband's infertility or death of the husband before the birth of a son. Satyavati first asked Bhishma to do it. Bhishma refused, saying that he could not do it since he had taken a vow of celibacy and it would be against his dharma. Satyavati revealed to Bhishma that when she was a young girl, she had a relationship with the great sage Parashara and as a result of that, she had a son which would make him the half-brother of the late king. That son was named Krishnadvaipayana and he was an extremely learned Brahmana. Bhishma agreed to Satyavati's suggestion and Krishnadvaipayana was called to the palace and Ambika and Ambalika were told that they needed to have sons with him. And so Ambika had Dhritarashtra and Ambalika had Pandu from Dvaipayana. However, Dhritarashtra was born blind and Pandu didn't look too healthy. 
Satyavati worried that the kingdom would yet again face a crisis and she asked Vipayana to father another son on Ambika. But Ambika didn't want to go through the process with the scary and unclean looking Dwaipayana again. So she cheated. She tricked Dwaipayana by sending a Shudra servant in her stead. That Shudra woman had a son who was named Vidura. Among the three sons born, only Pandu could inherit. Since Dhritarashtra was blind and Vidura's mother was a Shudra, they both could not legally inherit. And so, Pandu inherited the kingdom. When Dhritarashtra, Pandu and Vidura were of age, Bhishma decided they should marry and decided upon brides for them. For Dhritarashtra, he chose the princess Gandhari of the kingdom of Gandhara. For Pandu, Bhishma decided upon Preeta, the adopted daughter of Kunti Boja. She was also known as Kunti. Both Gandhari and Kunti were known to be blessed with fertility and so Bhishma was keen on their proposal for the princess. Bhishma also chose a second wife for Pandu. She was the beautiful daughter of Madra. She was called Madri. Vidura was married to the daughter of King Devaka. After his marriage, Pandu led and won many military campaigns. He had amassed great amount of wealth from these campaigns and he shared them with his relatives. But Pandu wasn't really interested in the running of a kingdom. He was an avid hunter and enjoyed an active outdoorsy life. So, after he returned from the war, he handed over the running of the kingdom to his older brother Dhritarashtra and he left to the forest with his two wives. They spent many days in the forest. One day while he was hunting, Pandu shot and killed a deer while it was in the embrace of its partner. Tragically, Pandu later found out that this was not a deer but a rishi and his wife who had shape-shifted into a deer and a doe. The angry rishi cursed Pandu that for his sin he would die when he was similarly engaged with his wife. Pandu felt guilty for the accident and he was afraid of the curse. He decided that from that day onwards, he would give up all worldly pleasures. He renounced his throne and decided to live as an ascetic. Both Kunti and Madri decided to follow their husband and lived like ascetics. They roamed the forest and lived a simple life for the next few years. Pandu was unable to be intimate with his wives because of the curse, but as some time passed, he started to feel the need to have sons. He felt that it was his dharma to have sons and that his spiritual life would be incomplete without them. With that concern in mind, he asked Kunti to have sons for him through the process of Niyoga. When Kunti was young, she was blessed with the boon by sage Durvasa that she would be able to summon any god and ask him to provide her with a son. Using this boon, Kunti had three sons, Yudhisthira, Bhima and Arjuna, from Lord Dharma, Lord Vayu or Wind God and Lord Indra respectively. Pandu asked her to have more sons but Kunti refused saying that she would be branded as a woman without character if she had any more sons through Niyoga. Madri expressed to Pandu that she too would like to give him sons so Kunti helped her and Madri summoned the Ashwini twins and as a result had twin boys Nakula and Sahadeva. Back in Hastinapura, Gandhari was pregnant with her first child even before Kunti was pregnant with Yudhisthira. 
but she carried it in her womb for almost two years. She waited for her son to be born, but it just did not happen. She was even more frustrated when she heard about Yudhishthira's birth. She was angry and she beat her swollen belly. This caused her to miscarry and she was shocked to find that she carried a lump of flesh which looked nothing like a baby. She was horrified. She ordered it to be discarded when Krishnadvaipana visited her. He stopped her from throwing the lump of flesh and told her that in the past he had blessed her with hundred sons and so she shall have. He instructed her to make 101 pieces of the flesh and to place it in separate earthen pots filled with ghee. The pots were then sealed and guarded at all times. After some time passed, her first son Duryodhana was born. In the span of a month, the rest of her sons and one daughter were born. Incidentally, Duryodhana was born on the same day as Kunti's second son Bhima. This made Yudhishthira the oldest of them all and it made him the rightful heir. This fact is at the core of the story of the Mahabharata. Duryodhana believed that his father was robbed of his rightful place as king and he believed that the throne should rightfully pass to him and not Yudhishthira. The Kaurava and Pandava princes went on to marry advantageously. The most advantageous marriage was that of the Pandava brothers' marriage to Draupadi of Panchala, which united the two big tribes. This story deserves its own episode and we will explore it on the next one. The rivalry between the Kauravas and Pandavas led to a final face-off in the Kurukshetra war in which a large number of allies from both sides perished. Many involved belonged to the Luna dynasty. The Kauravas were completely destroyed and very few on the Pandavas' side remained. The Pandavas had only one heir left to continue their line. He was Arjuna's grandson and Abhimanyu's son Parikshit. Parikshit was later killed by the Naga king Takshaka. To avenge Parikshit's death, his son Janamejaya held a snake sacrifice where he planned to kill all those belonging to the Naga race. It is in this snake sacrifice that Janamejaya asks the bard to tell him the story of Jaya as told by Vedavyasa Krishnadvaipayana. The Jaya then evolved to what we now know as the Mahabharata. The Kuru kingdom was dominant during the rule of Parikshit and Janamejaya, which was during the middle of the Vedic period. During their time, Vedic influences in religion and society grew and spread and they established the Kuru state, essentially becoming the first such state of Indian history. A few generations later, during the late Vedic period, the power of the Kuru state declined and they lost power. But thanks to the Mahabharata and other texts from the Vedic period, their legacy still lives on. And this is the story of the Chandravamsha or Luna dynasty, who ruled over parts of ancient India and majorly influenced the religious and social culture of Indian society. Influences which spread all over the country and influences that we see even to this day. Thank you so much for listening. If you have enjoyed the stories here on this podcast, please consider sharing it with your friends and family. As always, 
find the links for the podcast in the show notes i hope to see you here next time dhanyawada thank you Thank you.